0: I'm Duncan McLeod, editor of Tech Central. Welcome to Tech Central's Impact Series. If you're new around here, do subscribe to us on YouTube. You can do that at youtube.com slash techcentral. And while you're at it, why not subscribe to our daily newsletter, which you can do at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, it's been a couple of years and a pandemic uh, since I've last chatted to my two guests today. That's Robert Brown and Trevor Kudseer. It's good to see you, gents. Welcome. Thanks very much. Now, Rob, you are president and board member of Cyber One Security uh, in South Africa, formerly known as DRS. Uh, and Trevor, you've recently changed roles. You are now, actually, I don't know how recent it was. Three years, but it oh, was a pandemic
1: in between. Pandemic in between, so it yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> was three years between friends,
0: right? Uh, you're now regional director for Sub Saharan Africa at Palo Alto Networks. So, Rob, uh, let's start uh, by chatting about the uh, recent rebrand of DRS. I attended your rebrand event at Melrose Arch. I think it was last week, was it? It was last week, correct. Uh, um, So you've changed your name to CyberOne Solutions South Africa, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tell us what brought this about, why the name change, and what does it mean for your clients?
2: So I think the name change was brought, not I know the name change, was brought around, around trying to get all our um, solution companies with the same name. We've had okay. different names across in the different regions between Dubai, Kenya, and South Africa. And it was a bit confusing for customers, really, as to who they were dealing with. And, and you know, you're trying to explain relationships when you've got different names. Um, customers get a little bit confused. So, it, it, we, you know, it was a good idea to then get all the operating companies that look after our customers to rebrand to the same name um, our holding company is Cyber One uh, Security, and so we thought let's use the name Cyber One. It, it, I think it's a very really catchy name. It tells customers what you're doing, that you're really in uh, the cybersecurity industry. And so Cyber One Solutions was, was the, our choice of, of, of name. Mm-hmm. And so across all the organizations, South Africa from DRS perspective, Kenya from a protech perspective, and Cognizant in Dubai, all three were renamed to CyberOne Solutions, and so now we actually get that presence that we actually not just uh, sitting in one one region, but we're sitting across the whole uh, region within mm-hmm. the, you know south, across east, and into the Middle East. Right. And and how long had DRS been a part of the CyberOne stable? Uh, so DRS was part of the CyberOne stable from 2015, mm-hmm. um, but DRS has been operating for 25 years. Uh, it was started in '97 by myself. Uh, back with Dr. Solomons, uh, brings a blast from the yeah, past. Yeah, remember Dr. Solomons. Well, Not they magic, anymore, is it? M- no, no, yeah. well, they had this magic bullet uh, uh, stiffy disk that when your, your computer had uh, lost its uh, boot sector yeah. because of a virus, you could uh, put that in and reboot and it, you could go could re- retrieve your boot sector. It was quite amazing.
0: <laughs> I remember Dr. Solomons. I think I must have run it at some point. Uh, it, was, it was quite famous. It's as old as your modem. Uh, as old as this yeah. as, as old as <laughs>
2: Well, so Solomon sold out to McAfee in, in 98. Yeah. Um, and not because Alan Solomon wanted to sell it. He had already sold out to the board the year and a half before. Ah. And then the board sold out to McAfee in, in 98. It was right. quite interesting.
0: Okay. So you've you've seen a lot over the years, Rob, in the cyber security game business. has been around for 25 years. That's quite an innings.
2: Yeah, I think in cyber it's, it is an innings because if I, if I compare cyber to mining, mm. Um, The guys might have uh, installed some new bearings in their bore mill in that 25 years, but we've (laughs) changed a a lot more than that. We've gone from starting on floppy disks and stiffy disks through to, you know, lightning speed gig uh, internet and and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, ransomware, uh, things that that never existed uh, Twenty-five years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the te- name change—we're now you're now Cyber One. What does that mean for your clients? Uh, does it mean more access to the global organization, or is it just simply a name change?
2: No, definitely. I mean, obviously, we want to u- use resources from across all regions, so it's not just um, you know here. So if we've got skills elsewhere, I think what the pandemic did give us was the ability to be able to work from anywhere. Um, And so so if we've got skills sitting somewhere else that we don't have sitting in this region, we're able to then utilize those skills. Um, It makes it very versatile for our customers and hopefully gives our customers greater options, greater uh, depth uh, in terms of what we're doing. Um, And also where customers have a larger footprint um, which you tend to find happens quite often in, in banking and that sort of stuff yeah. further into Africa, they're able to get those resources from us across a larger footprint as well.
0: Okay, okay. So tell me a bit about CyberOne and the solutions it brings to market and maybe also expand a little bit
2: on how you work with Palo Alto Networks. Yeah, so obviously we've we spent a lot of time building the solutions. Um, Palo Alto is, is a core solution for us. Um, we've come, come a long way over over the last couple of years with Palo Alto. Um, I must say, it's nice to work with Trevor and his team again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had relationships, and I think relationships are part of uh, cyber security. Um, but Palo Alto, the way they've come from and where, where we think that they're heading to, um, are, are quite amazing as an organization. If you, if you look at their growth over the last probably four or five years, they've acquired a, a lot of uh, quite smart uh, organizations with some smart technology, um, and, and that fits into where we're trying to go. We're not Customers need to start consolidating. Mm. Um, I don't think you'll ever have a single pane of glass. I think that's that's something that uh, customers want to head to. I think if you can get to two or three panes of glass, you know, you're doing amazingly well. And and Palo should be something that customers look at because they are one of those uh, suppliers and and vendors that is heading in that direction to try and give customers consolidation and a, a view across multiple... Uh, platforms and, and multiple uh, solutions from a single solution.
0: Trevor, let me bring you in here. Tell me a little
2: yeah. bit about Palo
0: Alto Networks, what it does, what areas it plays in.
1: So, uh, you know, from Palo Alto point of view, we've uh, started as a firewall company, okay. you know, north of fifteen years ago. Um, since then, through uh, organic growth acquisition, we play, you know from everything from network security, the firewalls and so forth, um, consolidation of secure web gateways, proxies, um, you know, or the, that kind of technology, and then moving into the endpoint XDR um, and... What is XDR? It's an endpoint um, uh, protection um, solution okay. where uh, it doesn't necessarily work with signature-based technology. It really works on behavioral um, uh, you know, uh, to, to pick up indicators of compromise and so forth right. and block um, any malware or attacks that are sitting um, between the network. So an AI uh, type network. of engine behind it that... Uh, yeah, correct.
0: Right,
1: yeah. right. I don't know how often people like the word AI and ML and, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much behavioral analytics okay. as well.
0: Well, let's talk about, let's talk broadly now about the cybersecurity landscape and some of the threats that are emerging out there. Always an interesting discussion because it's never the same discussion from month to month. Um, Trevor, what are some of the some of the big uh, threats that you're seeing right now and, and that are particularly perhaps exercising the mind mm. of your customers?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things is obviously ransomware. We were talking about XDR and so forth, but yep. ransomware is, is massive and it's it's definitely morphing, uh, becoming the sort of next generation uh, as well. We've seen, uh, you know, it, historically it was the ability to encrypt the data and sort of mine the, the, the end consumer for whether it's Bitcoin or, or some kind of Uh, currency in terms of uh, payment to release that kind of data. It's morphed now. So people are moving into, well, the the hackers, because it's moving into not only encryption, but it's now theft of data. It's now using that for distributed denial of service attacks, uh, as well as if those three don't work, it's also the the ability to publish data Mm. onto public websites and so forth. Um, And it's, 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 it's been a success, uh, you know, making a lot of money for that for that industry as so well. So companies are paying. Companies are paying. You know, the the, the average cost of a breach is two point four million dollars. Average time to respond is around thirty seven days odd. Sure. Um, but the average payment is around five hundred odd thousand dollars.
2: Sure.
1: So there's definitely money in it, and you'll start to see that syndicate through to criminal um, activities because. You know, bearing in mind that now there's a plethora of of options to mm. to 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 get money out of and siphon money out of customers.
0: How many of the uh, ransomware incidents that take place
2: are actually making it into the news? Is it a tiny proportion?
1: Yeah, I don't think we're getting uh,
2: full stats on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if it's a big organisation, um, you'll you'll get some news of it because they there's potentially if they're listed, they they don't have options yeah. on it and and they need to divulge that. If it's banking, definitely they have to. Uh, From the regulator. But um, in, in terms of, of small uh, organisations, small companies and yep. whatever, I think we're missing a lot of stats. Uh, I think also people are still living in um, almost like a like a world thinking that they're not going to be hacked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any person who believes that really is misguided at the mm-hmm. moment. It's, it's, it's a case of when and how nowadays because I think... Um, there's a lot of people who haven't spent money on security. I mean, if you consider their organizations that still think they need to spend between three and 5% of their budget on security. And the reality is you need to be spending between nine and 14%. Of your IT budget. Of your IT budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's the reality on it. It's because um, data, data has value. You know, I don't think companies also go and say, if we couldn't work today, how much money would we lose? Ooh. You know, if in a day you're gonna lose a billion rand, surely you don't want to lose a billion rand. You should be spending a billion rand on trying not to be down for a day. Yeah. yeah. Um but I think it, you tend to find that that's a lot more reactive. Mm-hmm. Um so organization gets breached, they can't operate, um, and then uh, and then there's a problem. And we haven't seen big fines come in here yet. We've started to see it getting uh, coming overseas. So good example, British Airways when they lost a lot of data. Customer data—they got a big fine from the regulator. I think was over 100 million pounds. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we haven't seen that in South Africa yet. I think it will come uh, with Poppy, uh being now uh, enforceable. Let's see what happens when when some big data gets lost. Maybe maybe something like uh, let's see what happens with the TransUnion breach. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've seen the end of it. Um, you know, they lost a lot of data. Let's that was a ransomware attack. That was mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I seem to recall they said they were. There's no way they're
0: paying their the the attackers.
2: You, you know, you don't necessarily have to pay the attackers. It depends on you know how your data's backed up. How, if you can restore your data, um, you know how how you, what 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 they what they got hold of. Um, have they still got your credentials to get back in, or not got your credentials? So uh, it depends on the organisation, and as we said, the type of it. If it's just they've encrypted stuff and you can, you know, restore, and you've still got all the data, then do you really need to pay the ransomware but if they've got hold of your domain controllers and you know and and actually own your network then really what choice do you have besides re- if you're going to rebuild your whole network well that's a different scenario
0: out of yeah. interest do you think there's any merit to be made or merit to the argument that that perhaps there should be legislation
2: that forbids the payment of ransoms um, yeah that's a hard one forbid the mm. the, the payment of ransoms um, you potentially are stepping on a tough ground here because, you know, if the organization can't recover and needs to get that, those keys back, you, you need to, it's a, it's a very tough line, you yeah. know. But if they're prevented by law from paying the yeah. ransom, then maybe the ransomware
0: attacker wouldn't attack in the first place.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, it's, very, it's mm. a thing. The problem is, it, it is most of the ransomware stuff is in crypto. Mm -hmm. So now how do you prevent someone and how do you trace if someone's paid a ransom through crypto? Mm
1: -hmm. I think it opens the door for fraudulent activities as well through organizations. Um, The ability to siphon money out and put it into crypto because they've paid a a ransomware. So there's going to be... Raises other questions, yeah. There's other questions that's definitely going to be raised. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: I think the other problem we've got is we've got a lot of organizations, um, you know, out of places like like Russia, like China, like North Korea, You know, we can make as much legislation in the West as we want, where we Mm. um, potentially have, uh, um, you know, Mm. ways of enforcing it. But uh, when you get a a ransomware from North Korea, they Mm. don't really worry about what the local law says. The local law says, yeah. yeah. Mm. If you'd like your data back, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think there'll be far more legislation on um, the usage and the transfer of crypto before. The legislation comes in terms of whether or not it's legal to right. pay, um for, you know, for a crypto attack. Mm-hmm. Or okay. No.
2: I suppose it's the same thing as it's. It's never they've never banned being able to pay a ransom on a person's life. Right. They, right. They try to discourage you paying the ransom. Yes. To try and find the kidnappers, in that effect, but mm. ultimately the, the the decision lies on whoever needs to pay the money, mm-hmm. whether they want to pay the ransom. Mm. Interesting point.
0: So beyond ransomware, Trevor, what, what other threats are out there in the landscape? What else are you seeing mm-hmm. right
1: now? Uh, s- s- additional uh, other things that we're seeing is, uh, you know, the phishing, not the the the, the phishing attacks in terms of PHIS, I-N-G. Sure. Um, now, f- phishing attacks are also morphing and becoming next generation as well. Okay. What we are seeing is... Uh, um, Uh, it's multiple methods of phishing attacks now. So historically, it used to be get an email, click on the email, Mm -hmm. it downloads malware or ransomware, whatever it may be, onto your laptop. Um, Now, it is becoming far more specific, far more targeted. Because people have wised up to the fact
0: that there's a dodgy looking email, don't click the Don't click on it. They've been educated again and again and again. Don't click it if it looks dodgy. So they're not doing it anymore. 100% right. So
1: so, so now they're looking at multi-channel. It's morphed. So now they'll go into your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your profile to right. understand what do you like, what are you chatting about, you know, what do you do on weekends and so forth. Potentially get your credentials, give you a call, and mention um, taking a look at your wine here. You know, I see you, you know you're a big wine drinker. You're also a big rugby fan. We we're going to send you on a wine tour and then watch um, some rugby in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. I'll send you the invite, Mm -hmm. um, take a look at it. Mm -hmm. And when you see this invite pop up into your email, you will reference the call that you had as well. And you'll trust it. Mm Multi-channel and so forth, and you'll start to click on it. So Mm -hmm. far more specialized and far more uh, targeted. How much is that actually Mm -hmm. happening out there in corporate South Africa? I can't tell you. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we know that this is, this is what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's coming more and more, I think, where it, it's coming down to employee uh, education. Yeah. Um, uh, I was going to ask, are there technological ways of fighting these sort of multi-channel
0: phishing attempts, or is it all down to education of the end user?
1: I think it's a mixture of everything. I think okay. uh, there's a technology um part of it in terms of the ability to when somebody clicks on a url to understand whether that's a good url bad url uh you know what is the behavior of the download should you be downloading it should it be interacting with other applications and technology can block that um you know palo Alto has the technology to do that however um it still comes down to user education in terms of not clicking it to start. Right. Um, so it's. I think it's a. It's a mixture of everything.
2: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, you know, Duncan. Just to add on that yeah. point, you know, there's the old adage that says, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't true. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know how many competitions you've ever won in your life. I think I've won one, um, but I, I've been told I've won the lottery about five hundred times, but I never <laughs> had a ticket. Usually the Nigerian one. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, and, and and I've received an email asking me to send in all my British pounds and they'll send me the ones with the new, you know, the new head of Charles on my new things and just post my pounds Mm. off to Nigeria. But the reality (laughs) is, um, you know, yes, you might receive an email, yes, you might receive a phone call, but I still think we as humans need to question, Mm. you know, why did I enter something that someone phoned me about that I won a competition? If I didn't enter it, why am I suddenly going, is this random? Mm. Do a, maybe do a little bit of research before you click on the link. So but
0: what Trevor's saying is you actually can get a phone call now you telling can. you you've won it, and that makes you, builds a sort of
2: trust amongst the end user. who yeah.
0: thinks, well, this must be genuine.
2: Yeah. No, and I mm. get it. And, and so I'll, I'll give you an example. Probably 15 years ago, I got a phone call saying I'd won a competition. Yeah. And I said to the woman, that's impossible. I never won competitions. She said, I'll send you an email. And I received the email, and then I was still skeptical, only I did know the organization that was giving, was awarding me, you know, it was a reputable company mm. that said i had won it. Mm. It wasn't a company I'd never heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we come to. We were to be a little bit, you know, is this company, as Trevor said, reputable? Is this, do they have a, so instead of clicking on the link, let me see where they say they come from. Then we go, rather just open my browser and try and do some research about that company mm. and see if they are a genuine company what is the domain address? What is the email address? And those sorts of things before we just click on links.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, we were chatting before the show and, and you, you mentioned, I think it was you, Trevor, if I'm not mistaken. Robert may have been you, if so please answer the question. But um, we were t- talking about capture, you know, those little capture buttons on the web. Yes, was Trevor. Prove, yeah. was Trevor, prove you're a human being. Uh, and continue. But I believe the criminals have now found a way around that. Even that
1: now? Well, well, that's morphing as well, right? So we're starting yeah. to see the, um, the, the mixture of auto and human um, attacks as well. Right. So, you know, you'll get a brute force or you'll get somebody trying to get into an account and that little capture site pops up and says, you know, pick all the, uh, the traffic lights mm-hmm. to make sure that you... Uh, are human and, and, and not a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will now get shifted over to a human to be able to do it and then shifted back to, um, to the auto um, and, and the electronic side to continue the attack. So there's definitely ways and means to get around um, certain aspects of well, security. Well,
0: where do, mm-hmm. where do all these attacks typically come from? I mean, you mentioned North Korea, Russia, mm-hmm. are those the typical markets where attacks originate? Uh, mm. Or do you see homegrown attacks here in South Africa as well?
1: You can carry on, it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um Apologies if it's a tough question. On. No, no, no. I mean, it yeah. depends on which report. I mean, I think it comes, sure. I, I think nation state, I think if we look at it, that, that's definitely increased, mm. you know, 100% um, yeah. uh, growth on that side. Um, it, it depends on which vertical you're looking at in, in terms of the attack. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at... Um, the shift of IT into OT attacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one example is the attack on Ukraine in terms of the power stations yeah. prior to the war and so forth. Uh, that is specifically targeted um, coming from a specific country, mm-hmm. making sure that you can destabilise an economy in a country mm-hmm. prior to attack order yeah. or whatever it may be. So those kind of attacks um, are, are definitely coming from a certain area. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing, you know, t- not to mention a specific country or a specific state or so, but it is um, we're seeing everything globally yeah. coming in. I mean, South Africa is within the top five of of attacked countries uh, in the world. Wow, well, um, attacked, most attacked. Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. And do we have homegrown cyber crooks, or does it tend to be? Yeah, I think
2: so. We have got. I mean, we don't yeah. have a lot of. Uh, I think that's one thing we, we're still behind on is a lot of data, in terms of um, Africa wide. Right. Um, you tend to find we're starting to get more of that data now as we get uh, more information. Okay. Um, we know that definitely there's a couple of groups sitting up uh, uh, East Africa way mm-hmm. um, because we've we've actually found them in one or two organizations interesting um, and, and and actually they're they're doing some coding in Swahili as well, which is quite amazing. Um, but you tend to find the guys try and stay out of countries where there is law or some some way of having a go at them. So we're working mm-hmm. through an Interpol or something like that. So you might find that rather sit in a uh, another African country, and I don't want to maybe be specific, but sure. maybe where you've got less legislation, maybe like a Somalia or something like that. Right. And it's gonna be very difficult to get them. You've got internet access. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that is the thing nowadays, is your, your criminal can be anywhere in the world. He mm. He doesn't eat, sleep and drink at the same time as you possibly. And so so it is a 24 by 7 job looking after this. And I think that's what all organisations need to know is they they don't switch off their networks anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the old days, when you first started, you turned off your PC when you went home, Mm -hmm. you know. Your PC stays on, your network stays on, everything keeps on going. And so, you know, who's watching it, who's looking after it, and who's making sure that uh, what's really happening on it and and things like Trevor's spoken about when you talk about XDR, it's, it's... It's bringing and collating all that data Mm. to see what's really happening, Mm -hmm. you know, what's changed, why is this moving east to west, what's going on, should that be moving that way? You know, the more data we look at and the the better we are at understanding what's happening and then being able to be more proactive Mm -hmm. instead of the old day of being reactive.
0: Trevor, I want to come back to, you mentioned OT in the context of Ukraine, but um, Mm. OT is short for operational technology, right? What's the difference between OT and IT?
1: Think of your IT networks as your normal enterprise corporate networks. Mm -hmm. Think of OT as SCADA environments within mining, power generation, those kind of things. Okay, And that's the seamless trend.
0: Have companies historically considered OT in the context of cybersecurity sufficiently? And is that changing now?
1: It should be changing. We are seeing. We are definitely seeing the growth of or, or the the process of IT threats seamlessly moving into OT. Um, you can imagine in an OT environment, uh, you know, whether it's manufacturing, mining, and so forth, you want to make sure that there's as little that can go wrong mm-hmm. in terms of those environments as possible. So, you know, making sure that, yes, you can segment a network, where you know, and, and that's pretty much protected, but it's very restrictive in terms of what you can do in those OT environments. Um, and there are some organisations that have got very flat, um, non-segmented networks where um, access onto an OT environment and then shifting into an IT environment because of the... Um, you know, the flat networks um, yes. that that corporates are going through. So, well, corporate uh, have already got yeah. in place. Um, we, uh, You know, there is there is, uh, there is uh, technologies available where we pick up IT, OT, mm. and we start to understand what the traffic flow is. Should it be, you know, should that traffic flow be going on in, in terms of the network mm. with as little uh, impact to the the devices as possible, um, and you can start to implement security measures on both of those environments quite seamlessly today. Okay.
0: Does it does it add technical challenges for security teams?
1: Probably more production teams have more of a fear, mm-hmm. um, but IT, in, in, well, there's certain technologies, Palo Alto has a, a network-based uh, architecture okay. where we we're able to you know, segment the network prior to putting anything onto the OT environment um, to make sure that we can pick up um, specific applications, the specific threats, the specific behaviours mm. that are running through the networks, and be able to block it, um, so that it has little to no effect on the OT environment. Interesting,
0: interesting. Are you, Rob, having more conversations these days with your clients about OT and protecting
2: it? Yeah, I think Duncan, you're going to see that's going to definitely increase because uh, you know in the old days, the OT used to be a totally separate network. Right. You know, they didn't really talk to each other. You didn't have that communications and and whatever. But I think with just the increase in, in demand, the increase in productivity, the increase in, in how the whole world is is, mm. is sort of like coming together, we're seeing a lot more of, of this, you know, how quickly can we change, how quickly can we move, and how, and how quickly can we update things. You know, you think about it, uh, organisations can manage all their fridges, you know, across the whole network now. They know if there's a fridge broken down because that's, that's – that's merchandise now. That's going to go rotten and lots yeah. sort of stuff. They it's becoming this connected world, much more real world impact. Much more, yeah, hundred percent. You know, you you don't want to be, you know, that could be con- contamination for the fridges next door to it. And it's just an example. So now you need you can automatically auto send out the engineer to go and and do you know repairs and all these sorts of things. We're a. A big organisation like that, you need to have a lot of this stuff mm. uh, properly managed and, and automated and everything like that. And so with that connectivity, you obviously now expose stuff that wasn't necessarily previously exposed. Mm. And and that does become a problem and, and it becomes more of how do you manage it and, and how do you protect it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to switch uh, tack slightly and talk a bit about uh, this concept of zero trust. Uh, I know this is a big focus area for uh, Palo Alto, mm-hmm. but for the benefit of... Viewers and listeners to the show who perhaps haven't come across the term or have come across the term and don't fully understand what it means. What is mm-hmm. a zero trust exactly, and why is it important in the context of cybersecurity?
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll help out here. so sure. um, First no. of all, it's not a product. Yeah. Let's just understand that because okay. a lot of people think zero trust is a product. Okay. Um, zero trust is really a state of where you 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 don't trust anything. Mm. So everything needs to have credentials. Um, in order to, and, you, and you validate those credentials about uh, about how they then come into your environment. Right. And if those credentials don't match what your requirements are in terms of your, creden- your credentials required, then you don't allow that into your environment. It's very simple. It's, uh, you can make them as many markers as you want, so be it uh, your Mac address, your IP address, your, your cadence on your fingertips. Uh, there's all sorts of ways o- of doing it. Um, you know, s- the, with the sophistication of software now, and what we're able to collect when someone wants to enter a network, it's it's really quite smart. So Ooh. you want to go for that zero trust. It, so so you want to say when you are in here, we trust whatever you need to do, but to get in here, we're going to have to do all these checks first of all, of, uh, to be able to get in.
1: Well, and and that's you know, and I think that's where the morphing of zero trust one to zero to tr- zero uh, zero trust two comes in is that it's that explicit trust. You know, it, it's all, in theory. You should never trust. Always verify, mm-hmm. regardless if you have access or mm-hmm. don't have access. The idea there is, I'll check your credentials. But once you're in, historically, Zero Trust One .dot zero was now that you're open, I'm going to let you do whatever you need to do. Right. However, who's to say that you went, you got up from your laptop, and you went to make a cup of coffee, and somebody else was doing something malicious on your laptop, or uh, you know, communications were. Mm um you know we're picked up and so forth so the idea of zero trust 2.0 is removing explicit trust mm-hmm. um, and and being able to scan everything even if you have rights to do so I'm still going to scan the traffic I'm still going to make sure that there's nothing malicious going on I'm still making sure that there's no data exfiltration I'm still making sure that there's security policies um, that are enforced even though I have provided mm-hmm. um you know the, the the trust and the authentication, and I think some organisations um, we've had limited successes. Uh, I think as a as an industry, and that's primarily because um, we've we we have to get away from that that, that level of trust once and right. allow you to do everything. Right. Um, and I think in terms of. Uh, advisory and so forth. We're getting a lot of vendors coming and and technologies that are coming through and they speak to Zero Trust in their specific niche instead of as a concept Mm -hmm. across the organisation, which touches up far more than just a specific technology. Sure, sure. And I think once we look at it as a broader concept um, that incorporates numerous technologies and so forth, I Mm -hmm. think that's when we'll we'll start having better success. But it's
0: something I I assume that's baked into everything that Palo Alto does, right?
1: A hundred percent, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, from, from you know, it's from the network right down to the endpoint. It mm-hmm. all comes down to policy and the ability to scan. But maybe, it, maybe a good
2: analogy on it, Trevor, is, mm-hmm. you know, you arrive at a party, you've got the invitation, the invitation is a genuine invitation, you look like the person on your credentials, yep. well, that's fantastic, it matches the name on the invitation, and then you walk in there, and, but you happen to be wearing a, uh, some f- sort of face mask, you've probably seen something like that in Mission Impossible or whatever, uh, looking like someone else, and mm-hmm. then they get inside and then they end up in the bathroom and off they come and they walk out as someone different. Mm-hmm. Well, so so if you had had, had continuous scanning on the inside of the building, you would say, actually, we didn't recognize this person come into the building, now this person's mm-hmm. in the building, so what's this person doing in the building? Mm-hmm. Actually, let's raise an alarm. Yeah. Maybe that's probably a mm-hmm. great analogy of, uh, of how to mm-hmm. talk about Zero Trust 2.0.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I mean again. I was mentioning earlier on that it's that it's more of a concept, and I think it's something that organisations and enterprises need to understand that it's not a it's not a switch. Right. You don't get it and say right zero so, trust, and we're almost done. It's a
0: philosophical thinking about the way you tackle security as an organisation. Yeah.
1: Who has access? What access do they have, and what can they do um, while they have access? Yeah. You know, and in many respects, yes, there's technologies that can enable. Um, Organisations to do it, but in in many respects, it's, uh, you know, working with partners mm. like CyberOne, uh, who have the necessary skill set, who have the technical capabilities to execute, and have the um, advisory skills to understand what needs to be done or, or do the relevant assessments, mm. those are the organisations that where we mix technical capability skill with right. the relevant technologies to you know to enable organisations for zero trust.
0: Trevor, we've, um, we've just come through the pandemic, uh, the shift to work from home. It's now sort of, we seem to be living in a hybrid world of, of uh, work now. Um, what, what impact has this um, quite radical shift over the last three years to cloud mm. had on the security landscape? And what does Palo Alto offer in that space?
1: uh going back to the original you know we covered the network security we covered the sort of cortex which is our endpoint and and saw capabilities but we also do have a, a range of technologies in prisma cloud which provides uh you know a lot of um technologies to protect um, you know whether it's container-based, cloud-based technologies or, or, or deployments um, from vulnerabilities, from you know maintaining guardrails in terms of policy, as well as making sure that there is no malware and, and so forth within the cloud. Um, remote access through COVID is probably one of the largest growth areas. Uh, we saw many organizations shift seamlessly from you know on prem to to cloud and remote access and, and, and remote employees, but it comes with inherent risk yeah. all of a sudden it 's bringing your own device mm. it 's getting uh, access into the organization's, uh you know infrastructure and so forth but now all of a sudden you know, you had this sort of hub and spoke connectivity where everything had to come through the organization but now. Now with cloud, uh, somebody can be at home using a non-work you know, work provided device mm. and connect into uh, their organization's data that are sitting in the cloud, which has got nothing to do with the organization mm. uh, per se. So uh, that comes with risk as well. So being able to authenticate and protect um, all applications, all clouds, um, uh, sorry, all clouds, all applications and all data um, for the organization has become critical.
0: Yeah. yeah, it must have been quite tough, Rob, though. If companies suddenly forced in a matter of days to sh- shift the way they work and, and have their employees all working from home, uh, it must have um, been a bit of a nightmare for chief information security officers.
2: Yeah, listen, I think there's a lot of people who were, um, you know, knew that they needed to make a switch, um, then suddenly forced to make a switch, mm. um, and, and they needed to be agile, you know. Um, you, you're used to having everything on a prem, uh, and, and you had this network in your office, and, and everyone could access everything. Great, and then suddenly everyone was outside your network. Now I wanted to come down that lovely pipe that you had for the internet that was meant for browsing out, that now needed to access all your systems to go, you know, from from an access point of view. And I, I must say, I, I think there's been a lot of companies that have been exceptionally agile. At, um, it has it has caused some problems. But I, at the same time, I think it's, it's made people more aware of, of how easy you can. It also, it's also potentially um, changed DR, you know, um, from a sp- perspective we always wanted a physical DR, but now do we, can we have a virtual DR somewhere else, you know? Um, because re- reality is I don't need to be in that building anymore. I can be in three different buildings, you yeah. know? So, mm. so you're not so worried. It's changed one system for another system, um, but it has broader challenges on on security. You know, mm. what are we securing? Who can spin up what? How can they spin it up in which cloud? Are we in multiple clouds? You know, uh, and how do we manage all these things securely? Mm. Um, so I think there's still there's still a, a large um, I think there's still a large shift. If you look at the amount of data centers that are being built in this country, I mean, CNTT uh, just opened their new one. A mm. um, on mm. building four uh and i can't you know some other africa uh data centers or whatever they're building um i think it's yeah it's amazing It's astonishing it yeah. is astonishing yeah, yeah. but I, it is the way to go guys if you think about it you don't need to manage the hardware anymore you don't need to manage th- a lot of those things you may, you get a, you you know you you get an os and off you go mm-hmm. and 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 now you can go and rent space you can mm-hmm. you can you can up it you can you know reduce it you can do all sorts of things like that mm-hmm. and basically according to your business so it comes to black friday you need another 40 or 60 servers to accommodate for black friday but you don't need them forever Mm. you need them for a three-day
1: period while while
2: everyone goes berserk to to buy your merchandise yeah absolutely spin
0: it up as you need it
1: exactly Mm. yeah well again that's where the risk comes in right because if you haven't got your gold image secure to Mm. start Mm. uh, and you haven't embedded security um, when you want to scale up for that hyper production Mm. If you deploy those servers and those containers to facilitate a Black Friday yeah. and those 100 servers are based on a gold image of an unsecure single server, all of a sudden you've got 100 servers with the same vulnerability that needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things that we have to say, well, you know, shift the security left, make sure it's embedded in, the, in terms of the development cycle. So that as and when you scale, you maintain protected and you maintain that corporate policy of security. So,
2: uh, yeah, so we're, we're seeing a, quite a take up with Palo on the on the cloud side is definitely in that DevSecOps space. Mm-hmm. So we spent quite a bit of time now partnering with a, a company called Ninthbit uh, mm. on the DevSecOps side because we're seeing now if we can start spending time trying to get the developers to be um, coding security right from the beginning, mm. And managing that entire process so what they download you know if you look at the stats on how much bad code is downloaded and then put into mm-hmm. organizations you know you understand why there's all these issues and then and then suddenly they wonder why their app isn't you know it's got problems and mm-hmm. isn't secure and there's you know uh, it's being hacked and reverse engineered it's because they didn't start with this the, the basic principle of being secure from the start mm-hmm. um you know i think when you if we live in South Africa, maybe it is different here. When we build a, a new house, we think about security from the beginning. It's part of our built-in process. We don't build this great palace and then suddenly decide afterwards how we're going to go secure it. Mm. That's the right, wrong idea. Most of us put up a wall first, and then we build the house afterwards because mm. we don't want half the bricks taken <laughs> while you're trying to build the house. Mm-hmm. We, we do think differently in terms of that side, so why not put the security in right at the beginning mm. when you're trying to develop a program? Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which I guess was difficult during the pandemic because everything had to happen. No, in No. But but now um, lots of rules that need to be put in place. I imagine organizations have fat rule books around around how they manage these
2: processes. And I no, I think that's the problem is oh. they haven't got those fat rule books because this, this moves so quickly, Duncan. You're right. You know, you know, even now, they well, don't. even now. So mm. you think how quickly a new fintech spins up? Yeah. You know, where do they get all these rules from? They're like, no, come, we've got an app. I'll mm-hmm. give you a great example. We've got a, a company in Kenya they started taking orders on WhatsApp for, for food yeah. um, to the local vendors on the street to then sell to the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how they started. They're, they're a company that has gone from, in, in, in eight years, they've gone from taking orders on WhatsApp to, to now having all these apps developed, everything's now app-driven, mm-hmm. the vendors uh, uh, orders on his app, he pay, pays via Impeza, and, uh, and they're moving, they, they've suddenly now got this warehouse Okay, that is that is fifty thousand square meters under roof, from zero eight years ago, really mm-hmm. to this this uh, and a facility that can ripen 150 tons of bananas a day. Mm-hmm. You know that's how quickly this fintech has moved in terms of stuff, and 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 they're realizing that they need security as part of this because mm-hmm. if you don't have it, suddenly you've got all these floors and you've got this merchandise, you might be delivering half your goods to someone who really. Looks like he's paid you, but hasn't paid you, and and you've lost mm-hmm. your your merchandise. So so the organisations are realising this needs to be part of it. Ooh. But these fintechs are already they're coming fast, furious, uh, taking on the big guys. And you know, you think when I I remember, let's say thirty years ago, who would have said thirty years ago Kodak would be where they are today, as not being the leader in film. Mm. You know, as cameras, everything. I mean, Kodak was the de facto standard. You wanted a print, it was Kodak. Uh, and, and, and they had the option of the rights to digital cameras. I mean, really, there's a lot of these organizations who've missed mm-hmm. that transition. And I think the fintechs are, are taking on those businesses mm-hmm. and in their backyards and, and having a go at mm-hmm. them. But with it come those challenges. Yeah, yeah.
1: Just to go back in terms of your your rule book in terms of the policies and again there there is technologies that provide you with heaps of policy Mm. you know tick box to make sure that you can scan and tell me where i'm compliant where i'm not compliant what i should be doing what i shouldn't be doing the fact of the matter is that as companies start to deploy more and more technologies. um, There's technology sprawl, there could be vulnerabilities in terms of overlaps of security where Mm. those policies aren't protecting organizations. And going beyond the technologies, what we are finding is that as much as we'd like to enforce that set of rules, there's there's a lagging set of skills, not just locally, but Mm. internationally as well. Well, I wanted to get onto the talent Mm.
0: issue because no no discussion about cybersecurity is complete. Without having a discussion about yeah. uh, about uh, talent, uh, I mean, what are we seeing out there, Rob? Is are the you know can you find the skills you need in this space?
2: Yeah, listen, I can tell you it's difficult. I mean, you think globally we're short about three and a half million people. Yeah, uh, in terms of skills, um, that's the whole industry. That's the whole industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within cyber, um, and and so I think you know we we're obviously trying to grab guys out of university, um, also. Look at different people that we can get. We've, we've found some good programmers who come in. Uh, uh, we've gone through some form of programming and that sort of stuff. We, we're trying to bring all, all different types in to see how we can do it, how we can educate them. But uh, no sooner have you educated them, then potentially uh, one of the bigger guys, be it an, an, a Google or an AWS or yeah. someone, snaps you know, steps, snaps them up yeah. because they, yeah. they realise that, uh, you know, they've got bigger uh, purses and that. And that sort of stuff. So it is it is a challenge for us. It's a constant challenge that we're going to keep on trying to educate. Um, but I also don't mind. I, I think it's great to be able to educate uh, and bring people through. Yeah. We, we try and take in at least 10 new learners every year. Uh, just an essay. We've got a whole program up in, up in Kenya as well. Um, and we welcome uh, uh, people into our environment because the more we can train and the more we can put into either our customers mm. or, or into the vendors or something like that, the better it is for us mm. as an organization. Yeah. Um, because they come knowing how we operate. They also come knowing a lot of the techs that we know, which is good for our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of our customers has got almost 10 of our ex-staff members sitting in there. <laughs> you know, It's nice uh, that they've come through us, but, yeah, it's, it is a problem.
1: I think from a technology standpoint, though, we, we look at it from a Palo Alto Network's point of view is we're saying, well, what can we do in to improve that? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two things. There's um, rationalization and consolidation in terms of platform plays, where if you're using all these different products, it, you can imagine, we call them swivel chair management. Imagine going one console to the next console to the next console, trying to manage your security. So rationalizing that over... Um, a single platform will give you better visibility, um, you know, ease of of data aggregation and analysis to be able to show you what to do far quicker. So your mean time to responses far better. Um, over and above that, uh, w- what we're looking at is how to automate more. Mm. Uh, you know, how can we pull all this data together? How can we start to triage? faster as ar and machine learning and then give uh, an organization an output that is far easier to understand and far quicker to deploy that security as well so from an automation point of view and a single platform point of view i think that's where organizations are shifting now mm-hmm. purely because yes there's a uh, you know there's a rationalization of cost or consolidation of cost so you can see a better tco but ultimately is how can i improve my management and my capability doing it with less people, and being able to automate certain risks that I see in the organisation, how do I auto, uh, automate the mitigation mm-hmm. um, you know, factors? As we
0: conclude, I must ask you, based on your answer there, where this is going. Um, if we're going to have machine learning and AI systems fighting malware, fighting cyber crooks, are we not going to see the cyber crooks starting to adopt AI and malware, and are we not going to end up in a situation mm-hmm. perhaps 10 years from now where we've got software malware fighting malware or, or anti-malware mm. fighting malware and the humans are kind of sitting on the sidelines watching this going on and getting increasingly out of control. I mean, mm. is there a risk that we are, we are setting up some sort of dystopian future?
1: Mm. My, my personal opinion is I, I already think that the hackers and so forth are already using AI mm-hmm. and machine learning. Uh, you know, the, their job is, our job is to protect organisations um, their job and they've got career laddering and they've got yep. their jobs as well to do. Their job is to do the exact same thing to get past us. So they'll use as much technology as we've got, um, you know, to, yep. to break up already.
2: Yeah, Duncan, I think you think about it. So if you consider they say, cybercrime by 2025 will be 11 and a half trillion dollar business. What? Yeah, um, it's, that's a lot of money. So so they must be able to afford some really smart tools or make some really smart tools or have some really smart equipment. Mm. Not in that we're heading towards quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Now that brings yep. a whole different level in terms of the power and the resource you've got yeah. to be able to do attacks that were never done before. Passwords become meaningless. Well, yeah. Like your, AES encryption becomes meaningless. Yeah, I mean, that's, you start thinking of it that way. So, you know, 256 uh, uh, two fifty six algorithm doesn't last. You need to be going to, you know, something very different, 1024 or even higher, you know, 2560 uh, in mm-hmm. terms of your algorithm because of quantum computing. Mm-hmm. So everything's getting smarter, everything's getting faster. And so, so really where are we heading? It's going to be very interesting to see how we we navigate this landscape but i can tell you as we say in in, in our industry uh, uh change is constant that's the only constant we have is it's going to change it's going to change fast um, but yeah the criminals really are getting sophisticated with that amount of money on the table you don't blame them um they always say crime doesn't pay but i think at the moment there's a lot of guys banking a lot of money yeah yeah
0: and you're right uh, i think in 25 years time uh the the landscape in the business that you guys operate in is going to look as radically different as it did if you go back to 1997 in the days of Dr. Solomon's and Stiffy Discs. Mm. Um, and uh, I think you're both going to be incredibly busy <laughs> over the next... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, Duncan, <laughs> <for the next laughs> in 25
2: years, you and I are sitting on a porch somewhere <laughs> with <laughs> a proper fishing rod having yes. a beer mm-hmm. and not worrying, not about, worrying the about the stuff. <laughs> 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 Absolutely.
0: Guys, thanks for a great discussion. Rob Brown is a president and board member of Cyber One Security and Trevor Kutsia is a regional director for Sub-Saharan Africa region at Palo Alto Networks. Thanks very much. Thank you.